Welcome to the outpost. A little bit of advice. This place isn't exactly safe for work. So if you're some little Padawan, I'd turn around and head out the door. Some of the conversations here could be a bit, uh... Not exactly good for young ears. Things get a little blue if you know what I'm saying. Anyways, what can I do for you? Sith talkers. Uh, they're in the back room. Doors unlocked. I think they were expecting you. Greetings! Welcome to Sith Talk. I'm Sammy B, your pilot and pod racer extraordinaire. Joining me, as always, across the table, his infamy is known across the galaxy. He is the one, the only, the Lord of Lore, Zach Chrisman. What's up, man? It's uh, been a long time since we've gotten together. We've made a few adjustments. Uh, I'm really currently excited to talk about Star Wars. There's a a lot of exciting things, but first of all, we should we should kind of explain the the new move, uh, clashing sabers, everything. Would you want to elaborate on that, or should I? I'll I'll take it. Let's see let's see how it goes. First off, hi, I'm Sam, and I'm one of the newest hosts, along with Zach here of Clashing Sabers, and we are ecstatic to be here. You may have heard our voices before. We have guested on um, Don't Burn the Sacred Texts more than once or twice. And things shifted at our previous network that we were at. Sith Talk was no longer there. And the opportunity came to join everyone here at Clashing Sabers. And we were ecstatic to have the opportunity. So I know that our voices um, are new here. Sure, we've been here once or twice. And now if you're a fan of, of course, of the Lady of Lore, Lindsay, she's been on our show a lot. So maybe you've listened to us there, but we're here now. And I think it would be great just to kind of, I don't know, try and run down a little bit about ourselves, who we are, where we're from, what we do. And just so you can get to know the two new hosts of uh, at Clashing Sabers, the Sith Talk Boys. So Zach, I guess tell us about yourself, like how how Star Wars matters to you. Let's let's introduce ourselves. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Zach Chrisman, aka the Lord of the Lore, um, and you can find me at Sith Talker Twenty Five. Um, and my passion for Star Wars started from nineteen ninety nine. The Phantom Menace. I mean, when when the Phantom Menace came out, I remember watching it in the theater with my dad, and the epic lightsaber duel of Qui Gon. I've always loved Qui Gon. Like immediately, the moment I started uh, or my first viewing of the Phantom Menace, 
Qui-Gon was always my guy, and I knew that lightsabers and the Force were always going to be my thing, so much that um, that night I ended up cutting out cardboard lightsabers and, like, kind of drawing them up and, like, kind of flinging them around. I mean, they were just cardboard, but that carried on for pretty much, you know, most of my life, um, you know, and, and I was always a big fan of the prequels. I think I was a... I think I was a part of this Star Wars magazine and book club. Every month I would get like little tiny books that would explain little training uh, books for our, our, for uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, like their their journeys together. Um, and I would, I would get the magazines and always see the prequels the day of. Um, and I remember when Knights of the Old Republic came out and I bought it for a PC, and it just looked like the coolest game ever. Three thousand years before the events of uh, before the Battle of Yavin, and that hooked me immediately. Problem was, my PC couldn't run the game, so I didn't get to play it for another year and a half until I got my Xbox, and then I bought it on Xbox, and then I was allowed to play it. And from that point on, I was the lore master i mean any kind of like reading any kind of data cron you can look in that game i would read about the sith when you go on um korriban now called Moraban, but it's really korriban um when you when you go on there i would read any kind of text i can find in there i would dig and just keep digging and digging and digging and i would take my time on the datooine missions and i just star wars to me is many things but the biggest part for me was always this constant struggle between the Jedi and the Sith and the power of the Force and what that power can do. Um, obviously, with New Canon, there's a lot we that we still have yet to learn um, that we don't really already know. Um, but it's really exciting. It's also exciting to dig back at some of the older stuff. So Star Wars has always been the Force, the Jedi, the Sith. And it's always called me. Sam, why don't you explain a little bit about your Star Wars obsession, how it got cooking. Obviously, like, I'm a huge fan of Revan. I could go on all day and name, like, every Sith Lord and every Jedi. But it's just, like, it's just, like, a little too much. I'm sure there will be plenty of episodes where we dig into those. Absolutely. And we we hope to not overwhelm you too soon. But uh, there's going to be a lot of... If there's one thing Zach and I love to do, it is to take some niche, small concept, idea, or facet of Star Wars and just dive so deep into it and really explore it from all its angles. Now, myself, Star Wars for me, um, I remember there was the old school, like the last non-remaster VHS triple set. And... My dad bought that either just before... It must have been just before, because I remember being excited going into Phantom Menace. And, I mean, I loved watching those movies. Um, it really started with that, that, that VHS set. So, really, my first foray into Star Wars, I was still pretty young, was watching, you know, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, uh, Empire, and... I already had that Star Wars fever coming in 
to Phantom Menace, but like those were on the old small tube TV that 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 baptism of the silver screen watching it and it definitely for our generation the Phantom Menace holds a special place and for me I was a big petrol head as a kid still am so when you combine Star Wars with racing which is a such a George Lucas combo you think about you know American Graffiti his first big movie it's a car racing movie you know so that pod racing sequence like I I still like uh, my hair stands on end thinking about it and then it was off to the races I mean on my N64 I had Rogue Squadron which also I think came out before Phantom Menace because you getting to see the Naboo fighter in that game was kind of like a sneak peek so I loved that game and there was um, also uh, episode one pod racer which I still play on my switch the remaster of it and it's just such a good standalone game on its own let alone just a great star wars game so i mean that was that was genesis that was where it started for myself and as the years went on i i just went deeper and deeper into it i remember every like scholastic book fest it was what star wars book could i get a hold of or or game and um you know i think there was definitely some some years there where I I don't want to say like I lost the way, but you know you were a young kid and you you heard people you know hating on those movies and you're like oh but I liked them, and so when when we came around to the new movies it just completely reignited that vigor inside of me that was always there. It was kind of like having the Force awakened within you. So I mean if I had to break down what I'm about to the core. I mean, I, I do love the, you know, the lore of the Jedi and the Sith. I'm not as heavy into it when I always imagine myself in that universe. It's it's the starships. It's adventure. It's it's the the battles, the, the lore of the, the fights. And, you know, really getting into the nitty-gritty of the ships where they were made. Um, that's why I was, I was so excited to really dive into squadrons. I haven't been able to do it as much as I've wanted to, just because I need to get a flight stick for uh, my VR set. But that game is incredible. So it's that's what I'm about. If, if me, I am the adventure, the excitement, the, the, the sort of the flourish of the, the storytelling of Star Wars combined with the, the, the ships. You know, that's not to say I don't enjoy a good lightsaber fight. You know, I used to remember drawing out lightsaber hilts just all through my notebooks because I wanted to design my own lightsaber. So, I mean, that's just, again, me and Zach can go on crazy tangents, but that's just kind of scratching the surface. So, Zach is lore, I'm ships. And that's that's us if you really had to, like, boil us down. Like, anytime it's like, hey, if they did something, what would you like? It's like, well, it'd be pretty cool if they brought back plot racing. But, um... Man, this is, I feel like we're throwing so much at our audience trying to introduce them to ourselves. But uh, what do we want to dive into first? Like, is what's what's first on the agenda for us to kind of resettle back into our roles as the hosts of Sith Talk? Well, you know, first of all, um, you know, we're definitely again we're super glad to be a part of the Clashing Sabers team and. Me and Sam have such a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have such a back-and-forth dynamic, and, you know, him explaining his love for Star Wars versus my love, we both have, like, these same things that we have in common, but I think what's 
fun is you do tend to lean more towards different directions than I do. And that's that's kind of what this show is about. Sith talk isn't just a Star Wars talk show where we talk about topics and deep dives. We do all that too, but we, we will talk about even the hard stuff, stuff we don't like, stuff we do love. Um, you know, we, we are not afraid to get to the nitty gritty. And so this show, you know, occasionally, sometimes, we go on little uh, dark dark rants, you know. I, I definitely have had some comments about Rise of Skywalker that aren't completely, um, you know, people don't exactly agree with me or I have certain problems with, you know, the production of Rise of Skywalker, kind of how they plan the sequels. Um, and I'm not afraid to get into that. And that's what the show is. The show will always be me and Sammy having fun, having drinks at the bar, hanging out, but we're always going to speak our truth when it comes to how we feel and truly love about Star Wars. That being said, I think our first topic should be the topic that everybody probably came here to talk about, and that would be Mandalorian Episode 1 and Episode 2. Sammy B, let's start with Episode 1 and the big reveal of a certain character from Aftermath finally getting his time to shine. These, okay, okay. These are the things that make me believe. You know, I think Star Wars fans can get so, um, as, as a collective, we can get so drawn down that we, we love to learn every detail and nook and cranny of Star Wars and to not get that payoff of being like, I understand why this is important. Finally in this show, and it's one of the few that has done it so well in the Disney era. It pays off you knowing stuff, but not make it necessary for you to know it. Like, us knowing Cobb Vanth is awesome, and that we get to know that character the second he walks onto the screen. You understand what this guy, you know, who he is, what he was. It makes those books, um, you know, uh, important. And... and was it aftermath or was it from a certain point of view? It was I can't aftermath. Remember. Okay, um, it, it, but it adds meaning, and I think that was one of our big complaints on, on the old version of this show, uh, is that we always felt like you know we love being able to watch, um, all this extra media and read the books, and the comics but we don't feel like any of it's being brought into play. It's just, hey, you know, here's this, whatever, it's a new thing, but we've got to come, always got to keep spinning it a new way. So the fact that they brought in Cobb Vanth, mega awesome. I think his character totally makes sense to bring in because it, you know, is probably a bold choice then to kind of like say, okay, we're going to take this iconic character, Boba Fett, and we're going to take away his armor. Like that was kind of a, a, I don't want to call it a risky choice for a book, but like it was the Boba Fett had such a mystique to him in, in legends. And like, you know, I, again, I, I don't have the most extensive legends knowledge. And I will, I will say that right up front people listening, there's a lot of legends that I do know and don't know, but like the people who wrote those books, like Boba Fett so much, they had him like help teach, uh, one of the, the solo kids, how to use a lightsaber. Um, again, I think it was Jason is the one son and I can't remember the other one. Um, but like Boba, F yeah, he taught her how to use a lightsaber. Like that, that's the extent of like how 
big Boba Fett was. So the fact that in the beginning, they're kind of implying that, hey, Boba Fett might be dead because his armor is no longer on him. So I'm glad that they kind of rectified that, not even rectified, brought it up. Like, look, this is a character that exists and is established and we're not just going to destroy what's already been made. Here he is, here's his story, but here's how we're going to make sure that you know the full story. And again, I really hope that that Boba Fett just doesn't get a, a shoulder nod and that's it. Because that would be, again, I'm kind of jumping the gun here a little bit, talking about how he showed up there at the end. Um, but it was cool that they brought in Cobb Vanth. I like the, the the Western feel of it was just so palpable. And I've, I've always enjoyed that feeling of Star Wars is that it's, it is such a, a kind of fusion of a Western and like a Japanese samurai movie. But what about you? Like, I thought it was fun that they brought him in and I love that they're actually taking that time to really understand the universe and what's been established. Well, you know, and to build off what you're saying, a lot of my complaints with the, uh, the Disney era was that they, they would release these books and you would spend a lot of time invested in reading these books and they would essentially never really pay off to any of the, the main story. And I, you don't need like much payoff, but like a little bit probably wouldn't hurt that much. And I felt like the books were, were trying to be a part of the movies, but the movies or the, the other content wanted no part of the books. So it was like this weird like tease for people reading the books and then when you get to the movies, there would be like virtually nothing going on, uh, especially, you know, like in Aftermath, when there's that little hint to Phasma going on the ship with them and Sloan at the very end, you know, and, you know, that little tease about Sloan, you know, kind of starting the First Order being part of that. And we haven't gotten any Sloan. Um, and we thought we were going to get that in the movies. We thought we would get something like that. And these books were writing it in a way that it felt organic. It didn't feel shoehorned in and the movies were, and I, I'm not shitting on the prequels, but the movies were necessarily, they weren't incorporating anything that the books were doing. And when they were bringing something in, it did feel at times a little bit more forced. The thing I like about Cobb Vanth is he's already been there and they haven't really mentioned him. He's tracking about uh, tracking down a lead for one of the biggest, um, for, you know, a Mandalorian. It would make sense for him to go to Tatooine. He's already been there, and he's looking for any clues, and he's scrounging for these clues. That's why it makes sense to be there. And I think Cobb Vanth is, um, it, it's a small reward because it's incorporating a small character that wasn't, you know anything crazy in the books it was very tiny chapters and it just felt nice and organic that we could finally get at least a little bit of reward for reading a lot of these books and now you don't want everything crossing over and it's like oh yeah this one character in this book we're just going to keep putting every single character that's been in their own book little tiny parts are going to go into every show every movie here you go you want a big universe but at times you want a little bit of a reward you don't want to shrink the universe but you want to sometimes reward those who are reading all the content. Well, I was going to say the fact that they bring in nods like this makes the universe feel exciting. Where before you had all these other extraneous materials being made and then the movies just feel empty. Because you're like, you have made this catalog of incredible characters. 
at least use some. I'm not saying you need all of them, but you've made like subtle nods to appreciate that Star Wars is not just three films every number of years. It's a universe. Um, on that point, I just kind of thought about this. You were talking about the significance of the lead for Cobb Vanth. And I was wondering, you know, at the end of Rebels, and you've got the uh, you know the Empire and the Mandalorians fighting against each other. How many Mandalorian warriors do you think died? Because obviously they're they're being hunted, and it's it's kind of interesting to kind of draw parallels between the extinction of the Jedi at that point in the story with the extinction of the Mandalorians because I feel like they were more common before but after they the purge may have not just been you know obviously of the all of the 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 Beskar being taken away from the Mandalorians but all the murder of Mandalorians that had that armor so it does I, I had really considered how important that obviously he would have ended up there because I mean how many Mandalorians do you really think are visible in the galaxy you know what i mean am i on the right track yeah i mean you are on the right track but here's like a little bit of a breakdown you know and this is you know just off the top of my head uh because we're talking about it but the the breakdowns of the mandalorian you got to think about there isn't a lot of them left because what do the mandalorians always do they always fight with other clans they get a clan rises to power and then they fight them and you got to think at the height of the republic the Mandalorians didn't want any part of that and were fighting another civil war within their their uh, planet. And then what happened? After the Siege of Mandalore, after all this struggle between having Santine rule and then she was killed and then a ex-Sith Lord took over and took complete control, then the Empire shows up and really complicates everything because it... it Basically, the Republic overnight turned into an iron fist when they were already thinned out from the Siege of Mandalore. I mean, they were thinned out before that, but they were thinned out even more once the Empire came, so much that the some Mandalorians swallowed their pride and worked for the Empire. And that's something they even talk about in The Mandalorian Season 1. They, they, are, they don't talk about it that much, but they have uh, members of some of those people that did fight for the empire they're in there um and i would say that there's a reason the mandalorian's uh clan when he joined or when you see him in the first season they're very hidden they're very behind closed doors and that little push they did to get him out and to help fight against the empire that was all they really have had since we've seen we haven't really seen any more Mandalorian since because they they jumped off and ran went back into hiding so I think they're very thin they've been through war for 40 50 years constant infighting and it's something the Mandalorians have always done it's their curse like you even look at um the old Republic the Mandalorian wars were these great wars in which the Mandalorians united together and actually had a chance to overthrow the Republic. It wasn't until Revan went in with the Jedi to go start attacking them that they started to get pushed back a little bit, but even then they were still winning. Revan had to go 
find dark artifacts that eventually turned him into the Sith Lord that he was. Find a Starforge and take and over and dethrone the Mandalorians. It was serious stuff. And never since then, the Mandalorians never bounced back. And now in this new canon, there's very light hint to these Mandalorian wars. There's no confirmation on them. We just know that they happened. We don't know how. And so, yeah, it's kind of the Mandalorian's curse. These awesome uh, gunslinging, virtual, they can, they're very versatile in their fighting, but they essentially kill each other. They're the Vikings. Okay. We got a, we got a lot I'm sure we want to hit on, but is there anything else outside of, because I want to talk more about the significance of Boba Fett at the end of that episode, but before we get to that, because I really think that's going to help us tie over into the episode two, is there anything else that we really want to hit on that we thought was kind of a standout uh, part of that first episode or something significant to it because I mean I know the one thing I will say right up front that's just kind of an overall thing that I am so pleased of and I know we talked about this as I'm glad that they finally saw they needed to bump up the runtime of these episodes I am um, I was watching we were watching the first one together and I remember thinking man this is still going this is great because I know when when the the first season came out and that first episode came and went and it was just kind of like you just got me started and you pull out you know it's already over so i will say as far as a overall feel i'm glad that they're allowing the episodes to be beefier but i on the flip side i will say for you know that first episode i think was like 50ish 40ish minutes minutes I felt like there was a decent amount of story in there, but not as much as I would have expected for that much runtime. Does that make sense? Um, it makes sense, but also you're going on such a climactic season one ending. I think a little bit of reintroduction, a little bit of moment to breathe and to get reincorporated is sometimes necessary. Um, and you know it's it's total Sammy B though to 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 be so excited for the next part uh, because I know that there's X wings and there's a lot of ship fight and ship battles and stuff <laughs> but we're not gonna gloss over and we don't have to elaborate but I just have to say that you can tell that these are written by Star Wars fans and that's not to say J.J. Abrams, um, Ryan Johnson they aren't Star Wars fans they totally are. But it's so evident that uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and all people involved with The Mandalorian truly are not just only inspired in creating their take on Star Wars, but they're invested in creating the world for us to live in, which is what George did. And it's very, very evident. And one of the biggest things was the Crate Dragon. This is a very... Um, um, niche thing that people know about Tatooine. Not a lot of people know about the Crate Dragons or the Crate Dragon Pearls. But, you know, being an old Republic guy, that was like kind of the coolest thing on Tatooine was working with the Sand People to figure out how to get this Crate Dragon out of a cave. I mean, literally, it is not ripped off, but very heavily inspired by the KOTOR mission. A callback. Yeah, a, a definite callback. I mean, at one point, it literally has a Tusken Raider running away from the crate Dragon and getting, like, swallowed up. 
and at one point you defeat it by putting mines on Bantha. So it was so much fun, and it wasn't anything that was overly... Um, it wasn't ripping it off. It was a callback, and it was lived in, and it was fun, and it made sense. And to be honest, the Crate Dragon was a lot different looking and had a lot different of a fighting style than it did in KOTOR. Well, you technically don't fight it in KOTOR, but they took their spin on it, but it, it also was something that us fans always wanted to see, the niche fans, and that's what's fun, and that's why people listen to these Star Wars podcasts, because they want to have fun talking about a galaxy far, far away, and they want to be understood, and I just think that with that episode one, for sure, really, really um, stood out to me as understanding a lived-in universe. Also, I just love the attention to detail with if they're going to make anything, they make it count. Cobb Vance, fucking sick. Pod racer engine speeder. Oh, like that thing. Like, it's funny because like, really, it's a piece of junk that it's just kind of like, like, and I swear, I swear that it is a modified version of Anakin's engine or something very similar to it. That's the point. But it's, it, but I love that. And that's the, like, we're both saying that. That level of appreciation is great, and um, it, you, you're right. It, I think the difference is, and it's evident. And I hope that the new the new Republic stuff that's coming out will echo this. That they're sitting down in a room and going, "What's our idea? What's our plan? Where do we want to go?" And I truly believe that um, they know where they want the Mandalorian to end up. They're not just feeling it out season by season. Well, and which is one great. more thing before we move into the the second episode this first one has so much to unpack i think it's it's truly important to really go in on it and it's the beauty of not just having cod vanth uh not just having a random um clone war drawing in the background of the first scene like it's so lived in not just in um in the style and the writing and everything but it just feels like the prequels actually happened because what we had was you know when George wrote the prequels obviously that was after the original trilogy so you don't see a lot of you don't see any prequel lived in stuff and then when the sequels came out they didn't really add any prequel flavor into their movies there wasn't a whole lot of that going on and what's really nice is it's very very subtle uh, but in the Mandalorian it's it's very subtle but I love that little bit of prequel flavor because it literally it gives us it gives fans from all over different parts of Star Wars fandom there's I guess to sum it up there's something in the Mandalorian for everyone no matter what kind yes. of fan you are did we 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 didn't before I know we got to get on the two but Boba Fett like he's alive he's there this better not just be some toss off like oh there he is boop 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 like you can't tease me that much with that he's alive and this is something that would be important i feel like in the story because he is kind of a complicated soul of you know boba fett is a he is he is and isn't a mandalorian you know depending on how you view what George said about how he went back and forth that or that Jango Fett wasn't a real Mandalorian that he stole the armor da, 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 like let's put that aside and just focus on Boba as someone who you know it's funny because he talks about the Mandalorian armor being like 
um, culturally his right. But that is Boba Fett's armor too. Here, here's a good question. Is Boba Fett a Mandalorian? I don't know if I want to answer that. A true on the Mandalorian. First... Um, no, it's... Zach, we're going hard in the paint. Um, we're doing it now. I would say that, oh, man, I. it's a creed. It's a creed. So I guess if you live by the code, I, I don't know, because there's so much we have to learn. I don't think that's up for us to really discuss right now, because we know that uh, the if he is or isn't has been like kind of a questionable thing, you know, like you said. And I think it's like something for us to kind of really find out later on, because we really don't even know that much about the Mandalorian people right now, because, you know, the people that he's following and even which is the true Mandalorians, because the Mandalorian that we're following, they don't take off their masks. They have certain rules that they have to abide by. And Sabine always took her mask off, like the Mandalorians that were fighting for the Empire. Uh, Death Watch. Is it Death Watch? Is it Death Watch? I think yeah, it's Death, it's Death Watch. Watch. Um, they took off their helmets. So are these Mandalorians that he's following, are they going to a true original way from the Mandalorian Wars of the ancient times? Maybe. I don't know. That gets my wheel spinning. Or are they? do they call the people before them like that they bastard the bastardized the Mandalorian creed and they're the OG creed like they're trying to go back to the old ways what what is a true Mandalorian is something we still have yet to find out is it a creed is it a planet of people who lived a certain way what is it like what is a definite answer I don't think there is one so he may that is or he may not be in spirit he is Technically, we'll see. That is why I think it'd be a shame if they throw his introduction away. Because, like, if Boba Fett was dead, fine. Boba Fett's dead. Just put him in the ground. Dead character. Let's move on. But no, they brought him back, and now I need answers. And that is why it's like, not only do I need this to happen, this is a... If there's anyone... Like, I thought it'd be interesting if Sabine kind of got brought into the picture for the, the mental state of... Um, for the Mandalorian to figure out like who is he inside because obviously him being adopted into the the creed of the Mandalorians yet how differently so many different Mandalorians have lived their lives I mean Sabine is blood of the planet of Mandalore but Boba Fett isn't yet he lived truly like Mandalorians did that's why I need him not to just be a throwaway character like there's Boba Fett, do 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 do, and then we never see him again. I will be very upset if this doesn't come full circle. Like I need Boba Fett to track him down, and then there's a fight, and he's like, "You gotta give me back my armor," and then boom, who's there? Who's that? Is Sabine and Ahsoka and Rex standing there, and then they have him like, "Hey, wait, you're me." Oh no, it's confusing. Sorry, guys, you're going to need to get accustomed to the fact that I do voices. But, like, that's <laughs> the potential that's waiting in the wings by the fact that they confirmed he's alive. And that that, that actor's there, you could totally bring back Rex, too. So it's just kind of like... I'm not going to lie. Gonna do I don't... I think, I, think you, I think he will be there. He's going to track down his armor. He wants his armor. Trust me. Like Schmeagel wants the ring, he wants his armor. But... 
Had he not taken the armor, I would have totally been okay with that just being it. Not because I don't love Boba Fett, because I love what the new canon's been doing with him, and they're doing these small little pieces. Because in the first Aftermath book, when you get that chapter, you don't even... you People still thought that maybe Boba Fett was going as Cod Vanth, and the armor was him just as a new name you know we had to like really kind of put the pieces together and figure out oh no that's actually just a guy named cod banth and he has boba fett's armor so where's boba and this is our first like definite clue so i'm okay with them taking their time i don't even care if they get to it this season just that one shot was all i needed for confirmation i know i, I know but that's what i needed <laughs> Now, I do want to throw in a prediction. I think 100% Sabine is going to show him a different Mandalorian than what he's learned. And I think, um, what is it, Katie Sackhoff, Bo-Katan is going to show him a new... I mean, she's in the season, too. We're forgetting about that. Like, she's going to be in this season. I forget that. And she's going to show him a different side. But... I think we have a lot of Mandalorian talk that we could probably we go all day. <laughs> so let's let's get into episode two of the Mandalorian, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take it away. All right, I, I just was taking a swig of my uh, Corellian ale. I might have to get an order in of a uh, port in the storm, bartender. Thank you. Um, I episode two. Where episode one, I think I was on that high of Mandalorian's back. Episode two, I kind of, and again, I, I think that three is obviously going to be building on that story. Like the passenger, the frog lady, is going to have more significance than this one episode, and there's more to her. And like, I felt like with this episode, it was a kind of weird, slow burn. Despite it being exciting, I mean, you talk about how he come, you know, uh, Mando is talking to that lady in Tatooine, and oh, oh here's his passenger. You just gotta take her, and then of course, I love how we are learning the new world of how the New Republic kind of works. Like, you know, they are trying to have authority and lay down rules, and the Empire was both ruled with an iron fist, but let a lot of things go at the same like kind of like a weird um uh duality to that where you you know criminals could get away with a lot more but the 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 freedoms of your average person were also hugely inhibited so now the new republic is definitely laying down law and like they're kind of like all right you need to where's your transponder buddy and i love that like he's doing a lot of the typical you know ooh, let me do this little trick here and there and um I just love the fact that they really like to hammer in this point that the Razor Crest is just an archaic ship. And like, like I love just the Razor Crest has grown a lot. Like I remember the first time I saw it, it wasn't like my favorite design ever, but the more I see it, and especially that scene where they're, they're, they're diving through the, the upper atmosphere and the clouds. And it's just like rattling and shaking as it's trying to pull these crazy maneuvers. Um, really was fun. And I think um, I think this episode was not as good as the first. If I had, say, just to start somewhere, overall, I didn't like this episode as much as the first episode, where the first episode had a very clear 
like this is the mission this is the objective we've accomplished that this episode definitely is a we're still getting there and i need the next episode to really feel like there's a payoff because the the weird stuff they're doing with the child that i feel like they're kind of you know teasing the fact that like he again i kind of you know everyone loves little baby yoda i know he's a child that the fact that he's so cute but like we kind of forget that he, he he chokes out people when he gets mad like there's a little there's some dark side in there and the fact that like this is this lady's extinct species eggs and he's just like <laughs> sucking them down like like snickers like there's like i know you're a child but dang dang kid you gotta stop and like i, I do think there is there's just something interesting there about like they're not you know the mandalorian is viewed as this very i don't want to say viewed as he is this heroic character but they're chaotic in the way they go about it and it was just it was an interesting flavor of how he's just kind of like oh come on kid stop and it's just weird that like those are her literal eggs of her like species and we're just kind of joking about the fact that he's like slurping them down and i swore that that was going to come back into the play like all of a sudden they're gonna like like a little frog was gonna like belch out of his mouth i don't know i'm rambling help me it's out still it still might um I mean, the, the baby Yoda. When when you write it down, baby Yoda eats the babies of a lost generation. Is <laughs> pretty dark, um, and the way kinda it's kind of dark. Yeah, it's it's a little dark, but the way it's you know kind of portrayed in the show is it's it's a it's or it's almost like a gag, you know, like a joke. And I I think there is definitely some something there to show that he is still a very young kid and he doesn't really know what's right and what's wrong yet. I think that was the important thing. I think this episode has shown, I think this episode when I when I first watched it, one I thought one thing, that was it. That felt like 2 seconds. That was my first reaction and then eh that was kind of a little bit of a filler episode. But then I rewatched it and I realized that we were just missing some of the message. Um, and I think one of the message, uh, one of the messages were their dynamic together. They have gotten so much closer. He cares about that child, and that child cares about him. And the first scene, when he's got, when that random guy's got the baby Yoda at gunpoint uh, or knife point, you know, and he gives him the the um, jetpack and just. Sh- straight up murders him i mean he's dead but then what does baby yoda do he's he like runs to him like in panic he wants to be held by him there's a father-son dynamic there and what is he doing the entire episode the mandalorian he's teaching him right from wrong because he doesn't know right from wrong yet and he's teaching him little things as a parent would so you understand by the end of this episode that a parent is trying to raise her children with her husband to ensure that her line succeeds and lives on. But even though the Mandalorian doesn't really realize it yet, he's trying to do the same thing with baby Yoda and he's trying to teach him right and wrong in a chaotic world because they are very chaotic. And I think that's important to understand. And I think that it leads to confusion with baby Yoda when he chokes, uh, what's her name in season one when he chokes her he's like kind of taken aback when the mandalorian says no 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 you can't do that 
he's confused because he sees people getting killed all the time for crossing him and then she crosses him and she gets choked out by baby yoda uh what's uh her name oh my gosh i'm opening this is embarrassing i'm totally spacing on it too uh what is it mandalorian people are probably screaming See, people are like at the, these guys don't know anything they're idiots uh, man, i mean cast. you're not fully wrong we are kind of sort of well dumb. it is also the end of our day and i get a little bit of brain fog gina crano's character um so she gets choked out and you know it's he's confused he doesn't understand why the mandalorian's mad at him for force choking um gina crano's character um and I think that's going to be a learning point, and I think we we had to learn those steps along the way. We also learned um, his state with the Republic, like where he's at with the Republic and where he stands with them. That's something that we, we learned last episode. And that the Republic kind of holds him on even regards but still appreciates. He's been a mixed bag for a long time, so we learned that he's been a mixed bag. We learn the dynamic of him and Baby Yoda's relationship has doubled down even more as a father-son because the start of season one, it was definitely a contract job. Then it was protection. And so Cara now... Cara Dune. Cara Dune, yeah. Sorry. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Guys, Sorry, we're, we're, we're smarter we're, than we're, that. <laughs> we're recording on Monday. The brain fog is real. Um but I, I just think that there was tiny nuances that we needed to learn. And I also do agree with you. I think that um, what happens this episode will carry on to the next episode because, well, you know, the first episode of the season carried our, you know, episode two left right off after episode one. And I think we're just going to keep getting these chapters that lead back to back to back to back so that we've been along for the entire ride. I also think Baby Yoda yeah. might throw up frogs. Sammy B. I, I mean, like, he... Boy, he better throw up some frogs. Because, like, they, I, I feel like it's just kind of a... Again, I get it. He It is a a child. And child is, you know, he has to learn right from wrong and mistakes and that stuff. But it's like, this is a weird message that we're sending here. Uh, no, it's... It is... I really hope that they do a good... Because, like, I did not enjoy... I don't want to say didn't enjoy... Star Wars at its best, I truly believe, as episodal arcs. When you think of some of the most exciting things you've watched, I think about things like um, the Siege of Mandalore arc. You know what I mean? Like that was a couple of episodes strung together that has an important thing. And Mandalorian season one was really, I feel like, just like a test bed. The fact that we could prove that this works. We'll watch this. And I really hope they lean into this format and that every episode matters i'm not saying you can't have a filler episode here and there but i really felt like mando season one proved that this will work but i hope that in two they say look we're gonna keep building and growing this character story and um i know episode two will i think is gonna have payoffs it, it is gonna have the setup for the next thing and that's great but i felt like one gave me a big hit where two i definitely left it thinking man there's more i wanted and needed now if those things get resolved in the next episode then okay cool we got an arc going here and that obviously they had to kind of leave things open-ended for you know the things to continue in the next episode but um 
you know, I I think if I let let's kind of wrap up the episode in a, a a sort of chat about again, we're introducing ourselves to our brand new audience, and we're so excited to be here of just how Star Wars has worked under Disney and surmise what we have enjoyed and not enjoyed. Um, And I'll try and keep this to the point. These things can get long-winded. I think that the fact that Star Wars is with Disney means they can try a lot of new things to see what works and what doesn't. I think unfortunately a lot of the big first experiments was with the sequels where some things worked and some things didn't now that we're past that i am so thankful that we've had some time to have the upper echelons of lucasfilm and disney to question okay what didn't work and the most critical thing that i hope is being conveyed and moving forward is continuity what makes sense and how does it build from there and i think these episodes are showing that they're taking care of that and that it works live action um that that when you give what's the word because again i don't want to insult rise of skywalker and i don't want to make it seem like these are all oh, they're bad films because like guess what there's going to be a generation of kids that look up to these films the same way that we look at the prequels and they can say look these things worked these things didn't i, I love think that's them. an entire episode topic <sighs> okay you're right no i i let me let me step back let me step back from that t- that topic then mandalorian i think is the most successful endeavor of the disney era thus far and I am excited to see what, because they definitely save, save some of the bigger surprises for the later episodes. I think like the emergence of the dark saber and stuff like that, you know, that didn't come until the very end of season one. And that just showed like, look, we, we are going to these places and we have to be patient. But um, I mean, what is your... I think it's personally the calm before the storm. I think this episode is supposed to step back and teach us a lesson because I I really do believe like with all the announcements that they have with everything that's been going on and everything that they've been hyping up that's just for season two not to mention the stuff they left over from season one like the dark dark saber um, I think that this this was like literally just a break in before the action because there's no way that they're going to get to all the stuff that they've already announced in this season if they don't if they have more break episodes they they can't do that there's simply what they have announced can fundamentally they can't fit that all in there if a lot of episodes are a little bit more like this which is why i took this episode in a little bit more because i i was okay with it having a little bit smaller of a story don't get me wrong i'm foaming at the mouth for ahsoka sabine bo katan um any more with boba fett any more about the dark saber and any other surprises that we're getting and i think you know i i think i am totally on board with this episode um 
I, I loved what it introduced. I love what it showed me. And I'm still excited. I'm super excited for more. And I think that's kind of the point of this episode is that I'm super excited for more. I can't wait till Friday. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. All right, guys. This this has been Sith Talk, the newest show in the Clashing Sabres network. I just want to reaffirm here at the end of the episode again just how excited we are to be here. You know, we it's funny how the force works and where we end up and we you know, we've loved doing shows with Brandon and Lindsay and I can't wait to get to know the rest of the team with, you know, um, Drew and and Mark and Adriana and I'm just I'm excited to be a part of this new family and you know bring you guys new content and you know please respond to us where we always love to respond to whenever you send us messages your thoughts your ideas we'll talk about them on the episode there's there's so much potential for what we can do here on sith talk and we're just excited to be here so i just would like to remind you guys to please join our patreon to support our literacy nonprofit that gets star wars books into classrooms 100 percent of your donations go directly towards buying and sending books Go to our website, uh, clashingsabers.net. Check us out on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Uh, also, we have a Facebook group you can join. That's Star Wars Clashing Sabers. We have Clashing Sabers also on YouTube. Be sure to follow um, uh, Adriana and Drew and Lindsay, Mark, uh, myself. You know, if I run the uh, Sith Talk Instagram page. We'll you know, chat with us there. Also, our, our Twitter. Uh, follow Zach, and that's at Sith Talker Twenty Five. Yeah, and I and I just want to add a couple more things. Uh, you know, if you had fun with this episode and you want to talk to us, definitely check out that Sith Talk Instagram page. Feel free to comment. We love talking to you guys, and I'm sure both of us will be a little bit more uh, conversational in the uh, the Facebook page for Clashing Sabers. I, that's that's kind of a huge thing, and you know, maybe eventually down the line, I'll get to writing uh, that Old Republic article I've been thinking about doing. But for right now, it's just good to uh, to be here with Clashing Sabers. Such a good team. So excited to be a part of it. And that's really all I got to say, Sam. So with that being said, if there's nothing else to say, may the Force be with you. Always.